Well, good morning. I was sitting back over there, or standing over there a minute ago, and I was thinking about a message I gave here years ago. And I thought, well, gosh, it's a different text, but it's the same message. And years ago, I taught from John 15 on how important our relationship with God is, the whole abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. And, and it just dawned on me this morning, I'm, I'm really talking about the exact same thing again, all over again. Uh, and so if you've heard this before, then you've heard it before. But I, I want to come around the, the idea today that this is not our home. And as wonderful as the music is here, as much as we want him to fill this place with his glory, we see through a dimly lit mirror, this is a shadow of things to come. And if you're having to battle your own soul this morning and get through your mind and your will and your emotions and, and what you feel or don't feel, what you sense or don't sense this morning, I just want to remind you that this is, this is wonderful, uh, but this is not our home. And the reason why I say that is because if we were to come into any church in America, any gathering of his believers, and make the false conclusion that this is it, that this is the full expression, that this is the entire expression, that this is the whole experience of what it means to follow Christ, we'd be making a huge mistake. This is a dim shadow. It's a great shadow. It's a sweet shadow. It's a real shadow, but we see through a mirror that's so dimly lit. And I promise there's going to be a day when we say, come and fill this place with your glory and we will fall flat on our faces speechless, utterly overwhelmed with the goodness and the mercy and the presence of God this morning. But this morning, in faith, believing in something that we cannot see and basing our lives on someone that we have not seen, yet believing, we declare today, would you come and fill this place? Would you fill our lives with the goodness of God and the presence of God and the mercy of God? And so as we talk about that this morning, I want to share a story of a guy that's a lot like us. He's a lot like you and he's a lot like me. And I want to set the story up. This is going to be in Mark chapter 10. But there was a, a young man who observed some things about Jesus. And this guy had an awareness of Jesus. He knew kind of the law and he knew kind of the moral code of Jesus. But he wanted something more. And the story begins midway through Mark chapter 10 when this young man observes Jesus relating to children. And this is what happens. I'll read to you from verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. In other words, Jesus was very angry at his disciples for stopping them. And he said to, him, said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He's saying, What are you doing? Don't stop the children from coming to me. The kingdom of God, where the authority of God is, is present, the, the kingdom of God belongs to these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So I want to ask you this morning, does that sound familiar? And were you to think through, how is it that I, with childlike faith, can believe that God is who He is, that He'll do what He said He will do, and that our lives are to be what He intends them to be, how can we, with childlike faith, say, yes, God, I trust you with that? Well, this young man was observing these statements that Jesus was making, and he was troubled by that because he didn't understand how could the kingdom of God belong to children? I mean, children don't do anything, right? They, they just play and eat and sleep and have fun. And, but, and Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God belongs to someone like this. And you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you enter like a child. 
So verse 17, this is what happens. Jesus, or 16, Jesus takes the children into his arms and he blesses them and he sends them on their way. And as Jesus started on his way, this young man runs up to him and falls on his knees before him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus has just said the only way you can enter the kingdom is with childlike faith. But this young man runs up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So now Jesus is speaking to his heart. You know the commandments, don't you? And this young man, he's listening to Jesus, and, he, and Jesus is saying, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And, and the young man says, teacher, he goes, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And he's saying to Jesus, look, I, I know what the law is. I've kept the law. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked back at him and he loved him and he said, One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now on first read, it's like you could read that passage and go, well, This is about giving everything to the poor. And if that would be the conclusion today, I, th- I think we're missing the main point of this. Because in the very first Part of this, in verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So let's remember that this morning. Jesus looks at this young man who is asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this young man. And I want you to ask the Father the same thing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, we know the gospel, don't we? I mean, the gospel is this, that God is good, that man has sinned, that Jesus provides a way to the Father through faith because God's gift of grace and we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God. That's, that's the gospel this morning. What, what, what must we do to inherit eternal life? We must agree that God is God, that we are sinful, that Jesus is sufficient, and we have life in Him forever. We declare that and we believe that. And so he's asking this question of Jesus. He's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and he loves him. That's the first thing I want you to hear this morning. Jesus looks at this young man. And all of his struggle, and all of his quest to be near God. And the first response is, Jesus looks at him, and he loves him. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Well, as I've wrestled with this passage, I've thought a lot about what does it look like for us in our day? Is this the kind of passage where we read this, and all of a sudden, now we're all homeless and possessionless? Everyone walks out of the room today, we sell our house, we sell our stuff, we give everything we have to the poor, and then, and then what? You play that scenario out, we're a bunch of unemployed, naked, homeless people, but we have treasure in heaven, right? And is that, is that the point of it? And I really don't think it is. I think what the point is, is that Jesus knew the idols of this young man's heart. And that's the point. And Jesus knows the idols of my heart, and he knows the idols of your heart. Because when Jesus looks at him and he loves him, he was loving him in light of the things that were in his heart, the idols that were in his heart. And he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And the next part of the story gets very sad. At this, this, the man's face fell. Rather than hearing Jesus say, I love you, but there's one thing that's missing in your life. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And upon that invitation, this young man's face could have gone, me? Follow you? With this 
to get rid of the stuff, I could follow you? I mean, I could follow you? Isn't that the invitation of the grace? Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me? It's not about giving your stuff to the poor, although that's right and that's good and we need to do that. It's really about is our treasure in heaven and would we be willing to follow him? And so at this invitation, this young man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is for the, to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields from me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Well, I don't know how you walk away from that statement and go, oh, perfect, that's easy, Jesus. That's not easy because that's upside down from the way that we live our lives. And, and as I think about this passage today, and I think about my own life, and what, what does this look like, I want to point you back to uh, Matthew uh, and these two parables that Jesus is talking about, the worth of the kingdom. Because on, upon initial invitation, when we just hear Jesus say to this young man, after he had witnessed something incredibly different about him, Jesus spoke right into his heart and he said, there's one thing you lack. He spoke into his idols and he said, get rid of your idols. For this young man, it was his possessions. He said, if you'll get rid of these things that stand between me and you, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And the man walked away sad. And the reason why he walked away sad is what? If we just deduce it down to the, to the bare minimum, it's this. That man's stuff was more important than following Jesus. Well, take out stuff and richness and possessions and, and insert whatever it is in your life that you could potentially hold up as more important than Jesus. And Jesus looks at you and he says, he says, go and do these things, then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And I don't know what the idols are in your life, but we certainly know what the idols are in our society, don't we? I mean, we value comfort and convenience. And I mean, we, we live in a, in a Starbucks, you know, Target, everything's all together. We live in a customized, instant gratification kind of society. And, and when things do not go our way on our time frame at the expense that we would like, with the outcome that we desire, what happens? We, we easily, easily lose perspective. And Jesus is saying, look, let me just remind you that these things you hold dear, there is something that is more dear than that, and it's him. And so today is not about being possessionless. It's not about giving everything you have to the poor. It's not about selling everything you have. The question today is, what have you done with Jesus? That's the question today. And just like the message I gave here years ago from John 15, that apart from Christ we can do nothing, it's really the same exact message for me today that I'm asking, what is it that I've done with Jesus? And how is my life responding to Jesus? In Matthew 13, this is what it says. Jesus is describing the worth of the kingdom, and this is what he said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So there's a treasure 
hidden in a field, and this man comes across it. And he discovers it. And what is his response? He hides it. He goes and sells everything he has, and he comes back and he buys it. And with joy, he's got that. Well, listen to this next verse. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven, this is Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. So there's a movement in my observation. And that is that we are walking along in our lives. We discover the kingdom of God. We don't know what to do with it, so we walk away. And as we walk away from the kingdom of God, we start to consider, what is that worth? And what do I have? What is this worth? And what do I have? Okay, what I have is this. So I'm going to hold this out to God, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, all that I have is worth way less than what this is. And the, the movement that I see here is that when we discover the worth of Jesus, when we discover the kingdom of God, we walk away for a moment, we behold what we have, we cash in, we sell out, just like the rich young ruler, we give what we have, and then we come back with the ability to say, I'm all in. And that's that very simple movement for us as Christians. And some of you on your approach, today may be the day where you're walking up to the kingdom and going, I know I've grown up in the South. I know I've been around churches my entire life. I know that I've heard about Jesus my whole life, but I've never really considered the fact that Jesus wants a relationship with me. I am sinful. I'm coming to the kingdom of God going, the cross of Christ is enough. And in faith, I'm trusting Christ to be my salvation. That'd be awesome. That would be incredible if that's your story today. That'd be enough today. If you said, I've discovered the kingdom of Jesus today. And as I walked into this church and as I've been reminded that God loves me and he has a plan for me, it'd be enough today for you to discover the kingdom of Jesus. But for others of you, you're like, no, I've discovered the kingdom of Jesus. It is wonderful and I'm beholding it. And now at this point, though, in my life, I'm going, in light of the worth of the kingdom of Jesus, what do I do with that? Because has anyone else ever reached the point where you've heard enough sermons? I know Keith has. Have you, ever, have you ever sung enough songs and heard enough sermons and you've kind of got the information now? And now you're like, ah, what do I do with that? I just, I want to do something with this grace that's been given to me. And that's that moment where we've seen the kingdom. And it's not that we fully get the kingdom. It's just that we've embraced it. We've recognized it for what it is. And, and more than a sermon and more than a song, it's like, no, I want to take what I've got here and I want to consider what does this mean for my life? And then you go, okay, this is what it means for my life. Okay, then, then you come back to that and you cash in and you say, my life is yours. And th- that's a beautiful step. And so some of you might be approaching the kingdom of the gate. I want to belong to Jesus. I don't belong to him, but I want to belong to him. And I'm sure Keith would love to talk with you about that. But for others of you, you're like, no, the kingdom is glorious. I love him. I, I love God and, and I want my life to matter. I want to raise my children in a way that that they know the Lord. I want my business to be run in a way that honors God. And so you walk away and go, so what does that mean for my life? Okay, that's what it means for my life. And then there's that, there's that return visit where it's like, I'm all in. I'm all in. Well, I think we need to be very careful with this. Because this isn't, this isn't um, I'm not talking about what you can do to be saved. Let me just be so clear on that. Right? What I'm saying is, because we are saved, What do we do when we look back at our lives and go, okay, this is what I have and this is who I am. All right, so this is what I can give and this is what I have to offer. And you come back to Jesus and said, I'm all in. that's, That's the movement this morning. This isn't if we don't walk away and cash in that we're not saved. That's that's not what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is once we've discovered who Jesus is, how could we just sit on our hands and not do anything? So today, I just want to ask the question, how have you responded to Jesus? How have I responded to Jesus? And does our response indicate his worth? Does our response reveal the value that we place on Jesus as the one who saved us? You know, it's interesting because I think about this for our society as a whole, and, and so much we can, we can make this conclusion that by attending church, a wonderful church like this, that by attending church, by walking in a building, building that that's our response to Jesus. But this is where we come and celebrate our response to Jesus. This isn't the substantiation of our response to Jesus. This is where we meet, where we gather, where we are encouraged, where we remember what is true, where our souls are fed, where our prayers are corporate. But when we walk out the doors, that's when the response to Jesus really matters. Because we all know what's going on in here, but no one else knows what's going on in here. And so there are neighborhoods and shopping centers and businesses that you own and schools that you work in and, and, and neighborhood associations that you're leading and on and on and on. And my question is, what do those people out there know of your response to Jesus? See, we know the response to Jesus in the room. It's come fill this place. No love is sweeter. No love is greater. But outside those doors, that's the question. That's, that's the question, because with this rich young ruler, I go back to this story, and what was it that he was really after? Because, see, this young guy, he had the information. He knew what Jesus was about, and he had the moral code. But then when Jesus said, hey, I need to press in on something here, because there's something standing in the way between me and you, and, it's, and in this particular case, it was this young man's possessions. Well, that's a fair question for all of us this morning. Is there anything that stands in the way of us and Jesus. Not because Jesus would love us more or less. And here's the gospel. God loves you unconditionally and without regret. But in your own response to them, is there something that you cling on to so tightly where you can say, Lord, you can have all of my life except this. And maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a goal. And if you had to ask yourself this morning, what, what is it that I, if I had to be honest, would just say is more important than Jesus in my life? That's a really hard question. But you know what's on the other end of that, if you answer it? Freedom. Because what if you let go of your idols? What if I let go of my idols? And on the other side of that conviction, we found freedom. Where these things that are good, they're good. Goals are good. Careers are good, marriages are good, children are good, blessings are good. These things are good. It's just they're not, they're not God. And so what happens when we reorient our lives to say, there is no one higher in my life than God. There is no one greater in my life than God. There is nothing greater in my life than God. And this is what happens here. Had the rich young ruler... Had the rich young ruler sold everything he had and given it to the poor, do you think the rich young ruler would still have what he needed? Absolutely. Why? Because he would have been with Jesus. He would have been among Jesus. He would have been in relationship with Jesus. He would have seen the miracles of Jesus. But instead, upon hearing, there's one thing you lack. It was too much for him. It was too much for him to respond to, and so he couldn't respond at all. 
and he walked away sad. I don't want anyone walking away sad this morning. There's no reason to walk away sad this morning because it's not as though God is here to take everything away from you. He is the gift giver. He's the Father who gives us these good gifts. But if something is good from him and we've made it ultimate, well, he might be asking you to take that back because it then achieves this highest affection in your heart. And now all of a sudden, what was a good gift has now become an ultimate gift. You're like, no, 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 I'm not letting go of that. Let me just say this. The best thing we can do, the best posture of our lives is to say, all that I have is yours. All that I am is yours. And with my whole life and all that I have, all that you've entrusted me to steward, I want to honor you. I want to honor you. Well, Paul, as he was writing to this church in Corinth, he was talking about this treasure that people have in jars of clay. He's talking about the worth of Christ in, in their lives. And as he was doing that, he was trying to have to break through what they knew and what they saw and what they believed and what they were hoping for. And it's the same thing for us. He's talking about this. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. And can I just say a couple things this morning? First of all, this church is here for a few reasons. One, God's established it. Two, Keith and Donna Waldrop have been faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithful. And the reason why Christ Community Church exists is because Keith and Faith said, I want to, there to be a church in this area with their unique DNA that is still evident today. You can't walk in this building and not go, Keith Waldrop loves me. No one's going to walk out of here going, man, there's not any love in this place. There's not any expectation of faith in this place. And Keith, God placed a vision in Keith's heart, and Keith stepped out on that, and he's still stepping out on that, and his faithfulness is why we're all sitting here today. It doesn't rest on Keith, right? But God honors faith. God honors obedience. There is honor in obedience. And Keith has been a mentor to me and a friend to me and a brother to me, and he's been someone I've entrusted prayer requests to me. And I remember it was actually... A year ago this weekend, I was in Kentucky at a conference, and Keith and I were on the phone with each other, and we were exchanging prayer requests. And I told Keith, I said, Keith, I know this sounds crazy. I know we just got back from Hong Kong, but I feel like God is calling our family to go back again. And I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I said, but would you just pray for me? Would you, just, would you ask me to, would you pray for me as we consider what this is going to look like? And Keith, of course, oh, brother, you know I'll pray for you, right? And I know he has prayed for me. Well, I can say now that a year later, that stirring in our heart has kind of come back. And, and I, the reason why I share this is not because we're the rich young ruler that sold everything and is giving everything. That's not me, okay? I want to be real clear. Don't walk away and go, oh, Matt Dean, he's like the rich young ruler. No, that's, that's not me at all. That's not me at all. But there are idols in my own life that I've had to go, oh, Okay, I'm not in control. Anyone else struggle with control? Yeah, that's all of us. And, oh, I don't know the future. Anyone else wish we knew the future? Right, so just those two things alone. Can we all just confess and say, we wish we were in control and we wish we knew the future? But, hey, we don't, right? Only God does. And so here's been our journey in three minutes. I told Keith a year ago, I feel like God is calling our family to go back and serve uh, among the nations. And he said, okay, I'll be praying for you. So 
for the past year, we've been in the process of praying, Lord, where do you want our family? And, and the way that he's led us is he's leading us back to China. Now, let me just tell you the things I don't know. What I do know is in four months, we're going to be there. What I don't know is how. And as of last week, all we knew is we were moving to China. We didn't even know what city we were in. And so April, she's been praying this whole time of going, Lord, as you call our family back, I'm trusting you for where we're going to live. I'm trusting you for friends for our children. I'm trusting you for other moms that are going to be homeschooling. I'm trusting you for other couples that we can experience life with. I'm trusting you to provide for our finances. I'm trusting you to sell our house. I'm trusting you to tie up loose ends. All these things that we've been going, we don't know and we're not in control. Can I just tell you, can I bring testimony today of some things that God has done? And our surrender and going, we don't know where we're going. We found out uh, this week that we're going to a city where there are about 50 people just like us. Lots of kids, lots of couples that are doing the exact same thing that we're going to be doing, serving there. And so some of these things that we didn't know about, God said, no, I've, I've got friends for your children. I've got friends for your marriage. I've got a community to put you in. And another thing that we've been praying about is, Lord, what if we end up somewhere where it's just not comfortable? Right? Oops. Okay, well, so April started praying. She said, well, I'm going to just start praying that God would move our family to a very cold, snowy, big industrial city. That way, when I get there, I'll be in love with it already. Well, I'm glad she started praying that because this week we discovered that we will be living just short of Siberia uh, in a very big industrial city, the Detroit of China, where from November to April it's covered in snow and cars get literally frozen in ice. Isn't that awesome? But she's in love with it. She's, she's excited about that. And I am too. I don't know what in the world. We're going to look like Eskimos, I think. But... The, the reason why I say that is not to point to us, but just to say there are things in our life where we want to be in control, we want to know, we, we want to know what it's going to look like, and we want to be comfortable in it. And God is saying, listen, those things are okay to know you're human. I love you. I made you. You're human. But make sure you lift your eyes above what you know. Make sure you lift your eyes above what you can see. Make sure you release your hands on everything you can control. Why? Because you're not in control, and we don't know it all. And just like the rich young ruler, it was a stumbling block for him to go, you mean I've got to give up everything to follow you, Jesus? And Jesus' response says, yeah. And he turns to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Well, what's the eye of the needle for us? What's our camel, right? And it probably has something to do with comfort and control and wanting to know it all and wanting to have it conveniently. And that's good news for all of us today. I mean, we're the only ones today that I know of out of this little room that are going to be moving 10,000 miles away. But who knows what God can do in your life? And it's not even about the distance you go. But let me if someone in the room this morning said, okay, I'm going to release my desire to be in control. I'm going to release my desire to know how it's going to work out. I'm going to release my insistence upon convenience. So when I go to lunch today and it doesn't work out according to my way, will I honor Jesus in those ways, you know? And in doing so, when we walk out these doors, will people see other people that have been marked by Jesus? Because the point of this invitation that the rich young ruler was extended was relationship with Jesus. And that's the point of this morning. We are going to China not for the sake of the poor, although they are important. 
We are going to China not for the sake of those that don't know the gospel, although that is important. We are going to China not because it's another adventure for my family. We are going to China because that's the relationship that God has called us to. Well, when you walk out these doors this morning, what is it the relationship that God has called you to? What is the thing, the journey, the adventure, the faith step that God's called you to? Because the point is not what you give away. The point is not how you serve the poor, although those are good things. The point is when you stand back and look at the end of your life, are you going to be able to say, Jesus, I know you? Or will he say, depart from me? I never knew you. See, that's, that's, we've got to answer that question. Because no one wants to stand at the end of their life and say, Jesus, I never knew you. And certainly we don't ever want to hear those words come from him. And so as Paul was writing and trying to encourage this church in Corinth, he said, listen, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. We live by faith, not by sight. So as we close this morning, I want you just to consider some things as I pray for you. What is it that you're basing your life on that you can see? What is it that you're basing your life on that you can see, that you can hold, that you can hang on to? And where is Jesus in that? For example, your marriage. What an incredible gift it is. What an incredible gift it is. But your marriage is not going to sustain you for eternally, eternity. And so would it be today that you could release your marriage, not walk away from your marriage? Some of you are like, I wish you could say that. I'm not saying that. But what if you could surrender your marriage to the Lord and say, would you revive our marriage? Would you breathe life into it because it's dry and weary today? And we surrender that to you. We're acknowledging that it is in need of you, God. And so we surrender that to you and we say it is good, but it is not ultimate. Would you be ultimate in our lives so that our marriage would take on a greater sense of fulfillment, a greater sense of worth? Well, what about your children, right? I mean, you all know this if you've been watching the news. Rick Warren lost a son on Friday, America's pastor, and tragedy has struck his family. And I guarantee in this moment, Rick Warren and his wife Kay are surrendering again their ability to be in control even through this very tragic situation. So what does it look like for us to hold even the most precious gifts in our life loosely and say, God, these children belong to you, so help me be a good steward of them? Or what if it's your business, right? Your business is taking off, and you're like, but I don't want it to take my heart. So maybe you need to take your business and say, Lord, this business is for you, and it belongs to you. I I don't know what it is, but I just want you to start thinking about what is it that you can see, and how is it that you can offer it to Jesus? And he may just say, thanks so much. I'm going to give it back to you and I'll steward it. But I, I don't know what it, that's why you have to know the word of God. That's why you have to be in wise counsel. But I do know this, all of us can take things that are good and make them ultimate. Just like the rich young ruler. He had good things, but when it came to following Jesus, he said, no, these good things are more important than you. We don't want to say that today. What we want to say is these things are good and I offer them to you so that I can follow you.